Hello and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. For those of you listening for the first time, this podcast is a new project created by the ABA section of Dispute Resolution. One of three hosts serves as interlocutor, engaging in conversations with members of the dispute resolution community about topics of interest in the field. My name is Rekha Rangachari, and I'm one of your three hosts. I'm the executive director of the New York International Arbitration Center, and I also serve as co-chair of Young Professionals Committee within the section. This week on resolutions, we're talking again with Colin Rule, Vice President for Online Dispute Resolution, or ODR, as you'll hear us reference, at Tyler Technologies. Colin co-founded Modria.com, an ODR provider that Tyler Technologies acquired. Previous to that, Colin was director for ODR at both eBay and at PayPal. Colin is also a lecturer at law at Stanford Law School. Suffice it to say, Colin is an expert in the field of ODR and we're delighted that he's able to join us today, near to one year after he first joined us um, in a podcast with my co-host, Adam Martin. We're also sitting down with Colin today as a recipient of the inaugural 2019 Frank Sander Award, presented by the ABA Center for Innovation in conjunction with this section. And it was presented at the 2019 ABA Annual Meeting in San Francisco. Colin is allowing me a brief PSA as we're prepping towards the spring meeting that was due to take place in San Francisco, excuse me, in New Orleans. As you may know, um, in light of COVID-19 and and the pandemic developments, we will gather en masse instead of in New Orleans online. Please stay tuned for further section updates with additional details on this, and we look forward to e-meeting very soon. With that, I'm going to turn to Colin. Colin, it is a pleasure to have you, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Rekha. I appreciate it. So we're going to start out uh, by mapping for our listeners a sort of two-part question to you. When did ODR, Online Dispute Resolution, for those listening in, and you'll hear us referencing it as ODR throughout the course of this podcast, when did ODR first emerge on the scene, and how did you specifically get into ODR? Sure. Well, uh, Online Dispute Resolution really emerged in the mid-90s, and I think it was driven by the growth of the internet and the growth of e-commerce. I think the first meeting that officially uh, talked about online dispute resolution was somewhere around 1997. And uh, the father of online dispute resolution is a, was a professor and is an emeritus professor at UMass Amherst, a gentleman named Ethan Katch. And uh, Ethan started the Center for Information Technology and Dispute Resolution at the end, 1999. So really the growth of ODR as a field has happened over the last 20 years. Now you asked how I got involved. Um, I think anybody who's ever seen me can immediately tell uh, before I even say a word that I'm a nerd and I love technology and I always have. Uh, I used to run a bulletin board, dial-up bulletin board out of my uh, bedroom when I was 10 years old in North Texas. So I I always loved playing with technology, but I discovered dispute resolution when I was in college and I was very uh, excited and enthralled by all the possibilities of ADR. So my ADR world and my technology world were quite separate uh, through, uh, you know, the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s. Uh, And then when online dispute resolution started to crop up, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is perfect because it combines my two passions. 
Um, I, I started a company called Online Resolution in 1999, which was a spin-out from Mediate.com where I had been working as general manager. I met Ethan Katch, uh, and I ended up writing a book on online dispute resolution in 2002 called Online Dispute Resolution for Business. So uh, it, it was fun to be involved with ODR absolutely at the beginning of the field, but it's been enormously gratifying to see it grow in, in size and, and sophistication over the last two decades. And now we have a, a global community of ODR practitioners and scholars. Uh, we have a, a, a membership organization called ICODER, the International Council for Online Dispute Resolution. And we've had a lot of books and articles, and we have a journal uh, called the International Journal of Online Dispute Resolution. So it's, it's really grown in sophistication. And uh, I think some of the early ideas we had around the promise of ODR have really panned out. Uh, and now there's uh, many exciting frontiers we're exploring for where it could all hit. Great. So, you know, a word that stands out to me that you raised, technology. And so maybe we can also map for our listeners ODR's growth, let's say in the last decade, and particularly as it pertains to technology, what are we looking at if we're new to this field, um, looking backwards? Sure. Well, the word technology is interesting because uh, I think a lot of people, when they hear that word, they may think of the internet. And the internet obviously is, is an incredibly disruptive innovation and technology that's, that's changing the world. But there are a lot of other kinds of technologies, some of which are a lot less sexy than the internet just because they're older. Um, one that I think of is the telephone. I mean, the telephone was a technology that when created completely changed the way that we interact with each other. And since the phone has been around since before most of us were born, we just kind of think of it as, well, it's just normal, it's just there. Um, you know, you think about the disruptive impact of television and radio, you know, these were very powerful, uh, transformative technologies for human society. And I think the internet is the latest in a parade of those different technologies. Uh, so who knows what's around the corner? I mean, there may be other technologies yet to, in, yet to be invented. I mean, I think about the impact of the smartphone, uh, the iPhones and Android phones, which are all over the world. Now that's the primary way that the majority of people on the planet access the internet and connect with other people. So uh, technology is sort of a, a moving target. And the online dispute resolution, initially when we created the field, we defined it as just the use of information and communications technology to help people find resolution to their disputes, which is very open-ended because as new technologies are invented, it just gets sort of plugged into ODR. Uh, but now what we're seeing is there's such a flowering of innovation within ODR that definition may be a little bit too broad. So we've been talking a lot in the field recently about how we could refine that definition to make it a little bit more helpful for people that are trying to really wrap their arms around what ODR can be. And maybe you can even go into a bit of detail of this flowering. What, what does that mean, you know, um, information sharing and the like? If somebody were new to ODR, they're getting involved, what can they expect from, I realize it's sort of customizable, so this is a sure. difficult uh, question to pose to you, but you're the best person to pose it to. What are different permutations a new user of ODR may see? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I talk to lots of dispute resolution practitioners, and when I talk about ODR and the use of technology to resolve disputes, the first thing they think about almost always is video conferencing. Uh, you know, there's so much going on right now with people trying to meet virtually with their parties or with their colleagues. And video conferencing is really an, an easy thing for people to jump to. If I'm a mediator trained and sitting down at the table with my parties, 
and working with them to resolve a dispute. Well, if we can convene over video conference and I can still see their faces, then the activity of face-to-face -face dispute resolution and video-based dispute resolution, that's something that I could pretty much wrap my brain around. And you know, video conferencing technology has improved a lot. I mean, I'll tell you, I did video conferencing experiments back in 2000, 2001, and I remember the grainy postage stamp sized video windows that we have. Now anyone can download Zoom and start it on their computer and they get really crystal clear audio and um, you know, HD video, and it's, it's really powerful. And if you, you look at some of the uh, other technology forms, like telepresence platforms offered by companies like Cisco and HP, where you have dedicated hardware uh, with 8K video and surround sound, and you're actually sitting at a table and looking at uh, multiple HD TVs. It is really impressive where all of that technology can go. And I, I envision a day when that uh, video conferencing technology is so rich that we would even pick it over. Uh, meeting face-to-face -face just because of the headaches associated with driving across town or flying across the oceans. So video conferencing is really the first thing that people's minds go to. But one of the things that ODR has, has put a lot of time and energy into exploring is the possibilities for text-based asynchronous interaction between the parties. So maybe that's like an email or a discussion forum where people, instead of communicating verbally and looking in each other's faces, people type messages and then they hit submit and then it's sent to the other parties. And uh, millions and millions, hundreds of millions of disputes have been resolved uh, using ODR in this text-based asynchronous way. But again, we're only talking to the use of information and communications technology as a means of helping parties communicate in a dispute. One of the very exciting areas in ODR is what we call the quote unquote fourth party. That's where technology actually has a role to play in the dispute in addition to party one and party two, who are the disputants, and the third party, who's the human neutral, the mediator or the arbitrator, technology as the fourth party can also get involved. And there are some interesting ways that algorithms can make negotiations, for instance, more effective. Um, you can uh, uh, find uh, uh, possible solutions in libraries of solutions to similar cases that can be applied, be very helpful to the parties. Uh, so when you start to look, and then you think about things like machine learning and artificial intelligence, that again is where the fourth party is evolving. And you can envision a future where we may really rely on computer algorithms to help us understand what a fair resolution might be to a dispute in a way that's, that's much more than just having the technology help us communicate with the other side, but it also shapes our understanding of what kind of issue we have and what a fair resolution might look like. And the algorithm might help us to establish our sense of the ZOPA, the zone of potential agreement. So when we first started the field of ODR, we were just creating uh, essentially online versions of face-to-face -face dispute resolution processes. But we quickly started to realize that the integration of technology into the dispute resolution process opened up very exciting new opportunities for us to do very creative things. With, uh, with dispute resolution systems design. So uh, that's kind of what we're continuing to explore in the ODR field as we move forward and uh, technology continues to expand. So sticking with that actually, because I, I appreciate that, I was sort of gonna ask you about, you know, the next decade, what are we looking at? And so for, for scoping in on technology as algorithms as a fourth party, how, how can one involve this? Is it by the neutral who is tapping into those resources? Is it some other modality? 
Sure. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, I think it's very easy to look at very sophisticated, complex kind of technology that's over the horizon and maybe get a little overwhelmed uh, with the complexity. You know, leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning and dispute resolution, there are, are some early experiments with that, but I still think years away from that becoming a commonplace occurrence for, you know, the average mediator uh, drawing upon those tools. But uh, one of the things we do at Modria, for instance, is we use technology to resolve uh, small claims disputes in courts. And uh, a simple example of a, an, an algorithmic tool to help parties find resolution is when a complainant comes in and they say, hey, I have this dispute with this other party and I think they owe me some money. And we say to them, okay, well, how much money do you, do you think that they owe you? How much money can they pay you to resolve this matter? from perspective. And they say, well, I think $1,000. If they paid me $1,000, uh, I would close the case. Now, that's a common occurrence that happens face-to-face -face all the time. Uh, someone asks for a certain amount of money, someone makes a counteroffer, and they go back and forth. But a simple algorithmic tool with ODR, instead of just asking them how much money they want to close the case, you can say to them, okay, confidentially, tell us what the lowest amount you would be, wh what the lowest amount you would accept to close this case. And we're not going to tell this to the other side. But if they give us an offer that's higher than that, then we can close the case. They say, well, you know, I would, I would accept $800. I don't want you to tell the other side. I want you to tell the other side $1,000, but I would accept $800. So then we go to the respondent and we say, okay, this person has this issue with you and they've requested $1,000 to close the case. Are you willing to pay that? And they say, no, I'm not willing to pay $1,000. Well, is there another amount you'd be willing to pay? Well, yeah, I'd be willing to pay $900 to close the case. Well, then we can automatically close the case at $900 because we know from the complainant that they, the lowest amount they'd be willing to accept was $800. So that really short circuits a lot of the salon slicing and the back and forth that happens in negotiations, which can cost a lot of time and also create a lot of frustration. So that's just the almost the, the simplest example I can provide of an algorithmic tool that can streamline uh, a resolution process in a, that's in a single variable monetary dispute. Now there are ways that you can use similar types of ranged bidding and game theory type applications in multivariable disputes that get a little bit more complicated and the algorithm can help you in balancing uh, from priorities in a case. You can also use an algorithm, a, a software program in essence, we do this for family disputes we resolve within the courts. When parties come in, uh, the complainant comes in, we say to them, okay, there are seven types of issues that you need to resolve in putting together, for example, your parenting plan. And then we go through and educate them about each issue and we show them options. So you say, okay, in terms of custody, do you want to have joint custody or do you want to have sole custody? And then the complainant can go through and make selections in each of those areas, ed educated by that sort of guided pathway where they, they are registering their preferences. And then when the counterparty, the respondent comes in, they can then see the, uh, the selections made by the complainant, by their co-parent, and they can either agree or make a counter proposal. So that software program can walk them through the seven issues and maybe in five out of the seven, they pick the same option. And then when the mediator joins the case, there's already closure and agreement on five out of the seven issues. And then the mediator can focus their energy on the two issues where the parties were not able to reach agreement through that technology of the negotiation. So those are just some examples of how uh, technology, essentially the fourth party is working today in concert with third parties, human neutrals, 
to streamline resolutions and help parties um, achieve fast and fair resolutions when they have a dispute. So I'm also curious, you know, once that neutral is on board, right, um, aside from agreements um, that the parties with the fourth party may have breached, um, how can many of those who tune in from the section are arbitrators and mediators? How is ODR and even the AI component now being more and more introduced? How can that be useful to these decision makers uh, to take advantage of? Sure. I mean, I think there's a, a very good question now, especially uh, that many of our processes are, are migrating to the online environment uh, by necessity. You know, how do we get access to these tools? How do we learn how to use them effectively? And I think uh, one great resource is uh, odr.info, which is the website of the National Center for Technology and Dispute. Uh, you know, that website's got a lot of news, uh, a, a blog, it's got a list of all of the different ODR platforms around the world, it's got ethical standards around ODR practice, so it's a great place to start to kind of get your feet wet with ODR. Uh, as I say, I think a lot of uh, mediators and arbitrators are very comfortable with the idea of video conferencing, and I think uh, using video conferencing to interact with your parties and go out and learn a little bit about what some of the best practices are around using uh, video conferencing software in dispute resolution processes, and maybe think about some of the additional ethical and procedural wrinkles that might arise when you're actually administering a dispute resolution process over video. Uh, you know, that, that's a good first step, I think, in terms of getting your feet wet. But there are other platforms that provide ODR tools in a very easy to use way, and they've got a lot of training materials. One of those platforms is, is CREKODR, C-R-E-K-O-D-R.com, and they sell rooms on a one-off basis, and you can go buy a mediation room or an arbitration room that you can use with your parties, and it, it, it takes a lot of the functionality of ODR and simplifies it. So very, very straightforward for your parties. It's very straightforward for you. Um, but again, uh, the Modria platform that I work on uh, with Tyler Technologies is available through the courts. So mediators can't get that directly, but if they do resolve disputes through the courts, small claims or family or landlord-tenant, oftentimes they will be provided the Modria platform to resolve it. So I think just doing a little research and looking at some of the tools that are available uh, and that are listed on the odr.info website, um, I think that that's a smart thing for every mediator to do, to just sort of invest in where the dispute resolution field is headed so that you can stay abreast of all these technological developments and better meet the needs of your parties who may be open to using technology to resolve their cases. Sure. So um, noting um, current times, COVID-19, pandemic, lots of discussions about moving, using technology in a viable way to move proceedings online. And so I'm curious about your insight with that, but also sort of a concern I've heard before about ODR is security, you know, in the same way that, um, you know, a client who may give a bid to say, this is my lowest, but don't share it. And they can feel secure knowing that it won't be shared, right? That it's a means of collecting information and the like. What are security concerns around ODR in general as more and more people move to an online platform in light of the pandemic, what do you think we're going to see? Absolutely. Well, let me, let me start with the second part first. I think if you ask parties about what their hesitation is about using technology, the number one thing they will say to you is security. Like, 
how do I know if I'm putting all this information into the platform that it's going to be protected and that I'm not going to do a Google search in two or three years and, and my messages will come up. And, you know, obviously confidentiality is one of our core ethical principles within the dispute resolution field. So for us to say to our parties, we are going to protect the confidentiality, confidentiality of your information, that also implies that we are going to use technological tools for dispute resolution processes that similarly protect that confidentiality. And one of the things that makes me nervous in the field is I see a lot of mediators and even arbitrators who are using technology like email, you know, they're sending Word docs with track changes. Um, maybe they're using chat mechanisms or uh, uh, functionality like Skype or FaceTime, just because they have ready access to those uh, channels, those, those communications tools. They come installed on their laptops and installed on their phones. But the challenge is many of those, those technologies are not secure. If uh, you're sending messages back and forth with your parties in email, for instance, it's very easy for one of those parties to forward those emails to other people. And you would never know uh, because there's no way to track the future progress of that information you've submitted. If you send someone a Word document via email, they could forward that to someone else, potentially someone that you don't want to see that document. So if we are going to say we're going to protect the confidentiality and security, of, of the communications of our parties in these online dispute resolution processes, I think it's incumbent upon us to use tools that are designed to essentially abide by the same ethical standards that we hold ourselves to. And that's one of the reasons why custom built platforms like Crack ODR um, are, I think, an option than using things like email or Skype or some of these other channels. So I, I think that that's something that our field is gonna to need to think about a lot more. And I know the ABA has convened an ODR task force to think about how can we essentially uh, update our ethical standards to encompass some of the practice challenges and, um, of, of online practice. But then we get to the second part of your question, which I think is why everybody is, is talking about ODR these days. You know, uh, someone was joking with me just two days ago that uh, they think COVID-19 has done more to market ODR than all of the articles and books and uh, conference <laughs> presentations I've done over the last 20 years. Um, you know, suddenly we find ourselves, uh, I'm in California, you know, we have a, an order from the government that we can't leave our houses. So I've said for a long time that online dispute resolution is the future of alternative dispute resolution, but I, I never realized that it would happen this quickly and, uh, and, and uh, as a result of, of, of government regulation. So suddenly lots of practitioners who are very comfortable working face-to-face -face and have had very little interest in using technology and dispute resolution practice, they find themselves, you know, you're in the middle of a case and you can't get together with your parties. Really your only option is to leverage technology in one form or another. So I think a, a lot of people are curious, how do we use technology? What are the core skills that we need to think about you know, what are some ethical sand traps we should be aware of so we can avoid them? So I think we in the dispute resolution field are mobilizing to try and provide a lot of that help. And, and again, I appreciate you reaching out to me uh, and asking me to do this podcast because I think it is very timely. Um, I, you know, I, hopefully we're going to get to the far side of the pandemic and some of face-to-face -face activities are going to, to renew but I'm, I'm tempted to say the world of a month ago, prior to the pandemic, is gone forever. And I think as people learn more about these technologies and integrate them into their work, even when the pandemic has eased and we have the option of face-to-face -face interaction again, because we've learned about these tools, we're going to be much more likely to leverage them in the future. 
and so I think I think this is this is a period where a lot of people are going to want to start to experiment with ODR, and ho hopefully they'll have good experiences uh, that they will they will use not only because they have to, but later because they want to. But that's a fair point, you know, uh, necessity creates opportunity. And I think that people are looking more and more to ODR platforms because they have to. And I think you're absolutely right. Once you have to do your necessary deep dive into it, what are the, what are the useful tools that you didn't realize existed um, on that platform? And I, I think it's safe to say, uh, we'll, we'll need to do some sort of follow-up after this uh, podcast as things keep developing. Um, to see how how the system is responding. Another concern I've heard is, you know, as more and more people are going to sort of ODR out of necessity, can the system withstand the strain of so many now moving to that platform? Do you have any any comments there? Sure. Well, you know, I'm here in Silicon Valley, uh, and I think a lot of the big tech companies have put billions and billions of dollars into their backend infrastructure. Uh, but I don't think anybody out here had any idea that uh, it was going to be tested as thoroughly as it's being tested by this pandemic. Um, and I, I definitely have used services for years without an issue. And over the past three or four weeks, uh, you know, I found them a little bit less reliable because they're being hit so hard. Um, but that said, I think, uh, you know, sometimes you don't know how well your system is going to scale under extreme volume until you're actually hit with that volume. So some of those outages, you know, last for a day or two, and then the uh, technology companies have added more resources, and and then they've been worked out. So I, I think we're testing this infrastructure in a way, uh, an unforeseen way, but I think it's actually holding up pretty well. And the beauty of the internet, uh, it was actually designed initially by the military to withstand a, a nuclear bomb attack, uh, so that if a, a third of the network was taken out by a massive strike. The, the other two thirds would still operate. And I think that kind of resilience, what, since it was designed in from inception, is, has actually proven to be uh, quite robust. And I think it will get us through this, this crisis that we're currently under. Uh, but as I said, you know, the capabilities that we're learning to put into the system to handle this crisis are not gonna go anywhere and they're not gonna be undone even when the crisis ends. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you can feel pretty confident about the reliability of a lot of these services over the long term. Sure. No, and that's reassuring, I think. Exactly right. Until we test them now, out of necessity, we'll see how far we can really go. Colin, I see that we're nearing the end of our podcast time, and so I wanted to um, give you back the floor to share any, any final comments and insights with us. Well, thank you very much, Rick. I really appreciate you inviting me uh, to participate on another podcast. Um, I think the ABA is doing an excellent job leading the field through this very turbulent period. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, we all need to come together, not only to make it through this, this crisis, but also to envision ways that these tools can be utilized to achieve the objectives we have in the dispute resolution field and the legal field more broadly. Uh, I think a lot of people who are skeptics about technology point at the bad actors who are using these tools to seed misunderstanding and seed, um, uh, what do they call, uh, you know, uh, fact-free distances on the internet uh, that maybe uh, actually work uh, to the opposite goal of trying to get people to understand and work out problems and build peace. So I think it's incumbent upon all of us who are in the dispute resolution field 
to utilize these tools and work together to counteract some of those efforts so that we know over the long term these technological innovations actually help us to achieve our objectives, which is fast and fair resolutions for as many people and as many disputes around the world as possible. Exactly right. Um, you know, we need to we need to demystify myths, and that pertains especially to ODR, where we are jumping um, headfirst for many of us for the first time into it. Um, with that, I want to thank you, Colin, for joining us today on the second iteration of discussing ODR with you from one year ago. Um, if you'll allow me, I always find it useful to share. Uh, the presenter's email so that those who may have questions can write you directly. Colin, may, may I do that? Absolutely. That's Perfect. great. So Colin, rule everyone. You can reach Colin at Colin, C-O-L-I-N dot rule, R-U-L-E, at Tyler Tech, T-Y-L-E-R-T-E-C-H dot com. I also wanted to underscore some of the resources Colin mentioned during this podcast so that you turn to those as well, wealth of resources online. These include odr.info, I-N-F-O, and C-R-E-K-O-D-R.com, as well as staying tuned. Colin mentioned that there's an ODR task force with the ABA. I'm certain they'll be coming out with white papers and commentaries to help guide us in best practices as we go into modernity further. Um, so with that, thanks to Colin, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Indeed, stay tuned. This field is developing and developing fast. And I'm looking forward to getting Colin and his other colleagues on board again down the road to really see once COVID subsides, where are we at in use, in education and the like. Thanks so much, everyone. It's been a pleasure and we'll talk again soon. Have a good day.